Become spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men-at-arms, and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min-maxers, horny bards, and blood-soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role-playing games here on Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your RPG treasure trove. I'm your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and joining me this evening is someone who you should all recognize if you've been watching Deadlands of the Hellgate Trilogy or a number of other things. He is a three-time Hugo Award winner. He is the co-creator of 50 Fathoms. He did the artwork for this deck of cards that I hold in my hands along with several other things. He is immensely talented, also a master confectioner, as I discovered very recently. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boneheads one and all, let's give it up for Doc Arcane himself, Mr. Cheyenne Wright. Cheyenne, welcome to Rolling Bones. Hello, hello, how do you do, everybody out there? Hi. Oh, it is great to finally have you on the show, um... We just wrapped up Hellgate. Uh, yeah. We are still soaking up what just happened at the end there, and I can't think of a better time uh, between the end and uh, the beginning of preparation for Season 2 to bring you on here and uh, discuss your career as well as okay. what happened. So uh, let's begin at the beginning here. Same place okay. we start with, with everyone else. Uh, Cheyenne... How did you get into RPGs to begin with? How did I get into RPGs? Okay, uh, I grew up on the North Shore of Hawaii, and uh, which was a real uh, a town called Haleiwa, and Haleiwa was a real kind of hippie community, uh, exp uh, a bunch of you know people like hiding out from you know responsibility and all that sort of stuff, and you know beach bums and all that sort of thing, and in Holly Eva, there was a um there was a little store called Space and Lace, which would be what you would today call a well, I guess they I'm not even sure if they still exist. Do head shops still exist? Yes. Uh, yeah, okay. I've definitely seen some. Okay. Well, I would think that they get replaced nowadays by like you know, marijuana dispensaries and mm. stuff like that. But basically it was the, the Space and Lace was basically a place that sold um uh, various glasswares and tapestries and crystals and all sorts of hippy dippy stuff. But in the back, they had this old wire magazine rack filled with these strange booklets that were called modules for a game called Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. And, um, I had read about this thing in a magazine, a kid's magazine called, um, I think it was called Bananas. 
Something like that. It was like a really weird kids magazine where they had these pictures of these kids playing a a, the, a board game with like with like little warriors on uh, little figures and stuff like that and rolling strange shaped dice. And I wanted to play with that. I wanted that so bad. And so I started buying modules for a game I didn't own the rules set for. Um, and, uh, and I would come in there when I didn't have money, I would just come in there and just read the backs of the modules, you know, for hours and stuff like that. And just look at them as much. And that, that was, that started my, uh, obsession with, uh, with, with, uh, gaming. And eventually I had enough people in high school when I and it got into high school, I found enough people that were willing to sit down and play it. Gotcha. So, I just have to ask, were, were your parents cool with you spending a lot of time in a head shop or uh, did they just my, not know? <laughs> my name is Cheyenne uh, because <laughs> I am a child of hippies. Uh, so, yeah, they had no problem with that. Okay. Uh, Fair enough. Just just wondering there because I know like if I had yeah. spent my formative years hanging out at a head shop, my parents would have murdered me. No, 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 no. I think one of my, I think my mom's, uh, a good close personal friend of my mom was, ran, ran the cash register there. So that, which is how we, I, I even found out the place. Because it wasn't the sort of thing that necessarily advertised um, things of interest to me on the outside. I didn't like look at the, you know, the window that and go, oh, I want to go in there. I, I was in there because my mom was in there to, hanging out with her friend and talking with her and stuff like that. And I was bored and wandered around towards the back and found this this treasure trove of uh, of uh, fantasy materials in the back, and I, I had read fantasy books and stuff like that as a um, as a kid. I had read The Hobbit in like the fourth grade or something like that, mm-hmm. and um, and so I was already primed and ready for the, what was going to come after that. Really, gotcha, gotcha. Now, what was the first module that you remember picking up from there? Well, of course, it was Keep on the Borderlands. Gotcha. Uh, that's the very. I, you know, I'm 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 an old man, so you know, I was around there for the for the release of all that sort of stuff. I think now, I remember I remember um, well, not Keep on the Borderlands and uh, um, oh oh no, I've, my 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 memory is fading now. Um, there was another one that was a huge one for a very formative one that really opened my eyes to what the what it could be. Uh, oh, I'm drawing a severe blank now. It was a uh, old, it was an advanced Dungeons and Dragons module uh, about this strange tower that's found. Uh, tower of the Barrier Peaks? Is that the name of it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah, basically, it is a it is a crashed spaceship, mm-hmm. but but uh, but it, it's it's sold as a dungeon for fantasy people to go through, and it's filled with alien monsters and laser pistols and all this <laughs> sort of stuff, and you know, which are you know strange, crooked disintegrator wands, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, that sort of thing, and uh, and strange funguses and all that sort of thing. It was a lot of fun. And then, um, so that was a big early games. I would say the second game, uh, so I saw that those, 
so first it was fantasy, and I could see all that you could do with it. And then I saw that you know someone was doing some weird sci-fi pastiche in that, and I was like, oh, it doesn't have to be just fantasy. And then a friend of mine showed me a book from this other game that TSR had put out, and that pretty much cemented it for me, which was a game called Top Secret, mm-hmm. which was basically James Bond super spy kind of stuff and uh the cover for that that book was you know just this huge pile of passports and currency from around the world and all this sort of stuff and i was just like oh you can do anything you want with this and that you know i was happy that um, you know hmm. i could do anything i wanted yeah yeah absolutely um now, when did you finally like get your hands on an actual rule book? How, how long did it take you to, to find one of those and to you know be able to start reading the, the rules? And what did you do in the meantime between picking up like keep on the borderlands and actually getting your hands <laughs> on a rule book? Um, it took a long time for me to get uh, to find a hobby shop, an actual mm-hmm. hobby shop. Um, you didn't have a whole lot of options in in Hawaii. Uh, at the time in the early 80s so but um, eventually uh, when I was allowed to travel far and out of the my little town on my own you know in high school there was a we made it to um, the Pearl City uh, shopping mall which was basically a small um, well, it's it's what you would consider a a mall from from a classic '80s mall, and it was near Pearl Harbor and uh, and uh, Honolulu, downtown Honolulu. And there they had a a hobby and game shop there that was mostly ninety percent, you know, model trains and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they had a small D and D sec or game. They had a um, they had a small like aisle. Like a little half aisle in this game place that was dedicated to RPGs, and that's where I picked up um, my first box set of Dungeons and Dragons, and then later on I would pick up um, Paranoia and um, and uh, the Ghostbusters role-playing game. So that's pretty much that certainly narrows down right around when this time would be. So sometime in the '86 or something, mm-hmm. I guess. And so, and I, and I ran all of those at high, you know, for my friends in high school. Gotcha. Was it like a hard sell for them? Were, were they pretty receptive to it? How did that go? Oh no, I collected a whole. I collected all the rejects uh, and and pulled them in. You know, basically mm-hmm. anybody who didn't have anything else, who, who uh, looked like they didn't have any other uh, outlets, uh, I would draw them to my table and, uh, and and invite them to sit down. I was at the GM even then. Because I was the only one who who had any of the books, at least for the longest time, and um, yeah, I just game master all these different games for my friends. Gotcha. Give them shelter during the, the during the lunch breaks and uh, put them through all sorts of uh, mayhem in the, in the in the meanwhile. Absolutely. <laughs> now, of all the games that you played from then all the way up until today, what would you say your favorite game or game system is? It's real hard to pick a favorite. Uh, it all depends on what um, what uh, you're in the mood for, really. Um, I will say I will run 
90% of whatever I do now, if I sat down to run a game, it's going to be Savage Worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it's not just brand loyalty. It's just it's just easier to run and quick and fast, and it's, like, taking up the major portion of my brain. But, you know, in in high school, the perfect game to run was Paranoia. I could run Paranoia for for all those teenage boys, uh, you know, with my eyes closed. It was so much fun, and it was perfect for that audience, you know. Um, and so it was really kind of fun is that uh, just um, about three, four years ago, uh, Paranoia has had several editions over the years, but I, for, I picked up the original box set back, like I said, back in high school. They were doing a new Kickstarter from Mongoose Publishing for Paranoia, and I... Uh, I immediately backed it and was super excited to um, to get a new edition of it. And uh, they were having some difficulty. I was waiting for it to come out, and they kept uh, pushing back the release date of the box set because they were having some difficulty with getting, acquiring some of the art for it. Apparently, and I wrote to them and saying, "Well, you know, I hear you, you guys have been getting a bunch of delays, and I'm a big fan of Paranoia. Uh, I'm also uh, an illustrator." Uh, who works in the gaming industry. So if you need any help with um, a couple of pieces here or there, or some spot illustrations, I can certainly, I volunteer to, you know, put up my services. Not, you know, not for free, mm-hmm. but, you know, <laughs> I volunteer to, like, help out, you know, if they need to fill any gaps. And I send them a link to my website. And uh, they wrote back to me alarmingly quickly. And asked if I wanted to do the three covers for the books that they, they <laughs> were doing. Uh, so I guess they were either they were really strapped for the uh, the covers, or they I just um, I sold myself that well. And I had done since then I think like six or seven covers for that edition of Paranoia. So from kid in a shopping mall uh, in high school who's a big fan of Paranoia to now I do the uh, the covers for those books. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's an experience that with RPGs, uh, so few people get to to go from seeing that book on the shelf when you first pick up an RPG to then illustrating for that particular uh, game system. So that's yeah, it's cool that you got that experience. Yeah, um, it's it's what I've always tried. I've always tried to do is like I find the th- I find the the projects that are out there that I like that I enjoy and I um and I have a passion for and then I t- I tell those people this is me I love your stuff you guys are great I would love to do work for this it's how I uh first met Shane Hensley over at Pinnacle cuz I was playing classic Deadlands and running it for my friends and I was at a convention and uh in the Midwest and basically um I had been working on my portfolio for a long time, and um, I kept uh, chickening out when it came to applying to uh, for to any company to try and get a job with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had uh, high expectations of what my art should look like before anybody would hire me, and um, pro- and I was maybe a little too high, and um, the guy I was doing my day job for. I was a booth monkey and and packing for Phil Folio. Um, and he said, he pulled me aside and said, kid, let me tell you something. 
there's always going to be someone out there better than you. But right now, there are 20 people worse than you getting paid. <laughs> uh, and I, uh, I took that to heart. And I found the gumption to walk up to Shane Hensley and introduce myself and gave him a, a little uh, portfolio that I had made. I didn't even have really have a website yet. I uh, just had like a, a bunch of art that I had shoved into a, like a little um, plastic cover with a, you know and uh, and I handed it to him and said, I, "I'm a huge fan of Deadlands. Here's some of my art. Uh, I'd love to work with you guys sometime." And by the time I got home from that convention, I had an email waiting asking uh with an art order and that was one of the first pieces i ever did gotcha and and where did those pieces professionally yeah yeah where did those pieces ultimately end up as far as the like deadlands books that came out uh that first book that i did art for was the back of a deadlands hell on earth book they were uh they were in the middle of that run of the which is their post-apocalyptic road warrior uh radioactive wasteland um era setting uh of deadlands and uh, i believe this was yeah it was the back of wasteland warriors and it was this giant it was uh the very first piece i ever did for them was the hover tanks um driving towards a giant mushroom cloud off in the distance that was forming the uh, the shape of a, a death's head skull that was the first art order i ever got and um, and it was just one piece, and I did it, and it ended up on the back cover of that book. And then I did, like, two more books, I think, for Hell on Earth. Uh, one of them being, um, one of them I did almost all the art for in a book called, uh, for the big final showdown of for hell on earth the 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 campaign book that was like the last adventure published adventure they had done for that line which was called uh unity and it was the big war that to end the all the wars in the deadlands universe at that time as it turns out it wasn't but uh at the time that was going to be the big showdown between all the evil forces and the where the reckoners themselves strode out of the hunting grounds onto the battlefield and the heroes actually had to face off against war famine death and pestilence <laughs> nice. uh, yeah that's one thing i love about really all the the deadland stuff is just how like epic the stakes end up being in all the settings uh a lot of a lot of those like plot point campaigns from uh from classic deadlands and even uh reloaded uh, just the the scale of them is amazing. Oh yeah, especially you know if you if you sat down and you run through all those stories, you, you know it is a real, uh, real roller coaster. It's a lot of fun. Hmm. Now, on a completely different subject, uh, when it comes to actually running and playing in games, I know you know it sounds like from early on you kind of got. Uh, shoved behind the screen into the the GM role. Uh, yeah. So this is a two part question. How would you describe your play style as a GM? And then when you get to step on the other side, uh, how would you describe your play style as a player? Uh, as a GM, I like to set. Um, I like to set up 
all the things I'd like to build the world and like and just put all the pieces in there and then wait to see much like the um uh the scientists in in cabin in the woods I like to see which cursed object the players pick up which book <laughs> they choose to read from mm. and I go oh okay so that's the fo- you have chosen the form of your destroyer I'm going <laughs> to go with that now um, and so I don't necessarily, when I sit down to, to write a campaign or something like that, I, I have an idea of like 10 different things that can go wrong. And then I wait to see which ones the players gravitate towards. And then I make that the story that they, that was, and I make it seem like that was the story. And that was always going to be the story the whole time. So, so you mean something like uh, shooting a cattle baron's man in cold blood in the middle of the street and then revealing that you were the one who shot him to his face? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, now, when I'm behind, when I, the few times I get to play, I have, uh, I like to play the characters I always wished someone brought to my table. Hmm. Uh, often that means I I will play a real agent of chaos, um, a person who is just completely off their rocker um, and, and totally loopy. Uh, that, that's a lot of fun for me to play. But then you know, on other times I play characters that are like um, real archetypes. Like um, I think one of my f- favorite characters of late was a. Uh, was a, like sort of a Sherlock Holmes pastiche of a of a uh, a warlock um, investigator who was um, who used magic and stuff like that, but he was like all about you know truth and justice and finding the uh, finding the the guilty parties and punishing them. Yeah, I when I get to play, I, I love kind of leaning on those those archetypes. It's it's interesting that you mentioned bringing a character that you would like to see, or a, a, a yeah, a character that you'd like to see at your table. Uh, that That's a really interesting and I think um, kind of overlooked way to look at running games now uh, or, or playing in games when you've run so many games. Because uh, a lot of a lot of times when forever GMs step on the other side of the screen, they basically treat it as their time to either completely cut loose or exact revenge upon the players for wrecking their plans. <laughs> and it sounds no, no. It sounds like y- your philosophy is very much I am going to uh, be the change I want to see, or or be the kind of character that I want to see other people bring to the table and i i I want to be the gm's i want to be the gm's best friend i want to do this i want to make the character that um that make the i'm sorry that's the way i want to phrase this uh i want to keep the story moving Mm -hmm. as a player uh i want to look i want to i can usually tell i have a sense that i can tell where the gm wants this story to go and i will drag a party in that direction if I have to. <laughs> uh, I will keep laser focused and um, if I'm playing like a character like uh, my investigator or I will if I'm playing a, a more wackier um, goofball character I will set fire to things just to keep 
you know, just in keep uh, the action going. If things get too slow, if people start plotting for too long, I will Leroy Jenkins the crap out of it just to get <laughs> yeah. things moving again. That, honestly, I, I think every every forever GM could take a page out of your book uh, when it comes to, <laughs> you know, p- playing... Th- playing as the the GM's best friend and and you know helping facilitate uh you know play in in that direction I I'm glad that you said that and, and it it's kind of <laughs> making me examine the way that I play games now Well you know it's um I want to I, I get a little time uh on the other side of the screen there uh I want to get as much story churned through as possible mm-hmm. I want to have all the highs and lows I there's nothing to be afraid of. Um, what am I gonna? What am I worried about? Getting killed? You know, that means I get to make another character. I'm all about it. Let's go. Absolutely. Now, this next question is going to be a little bit difficult. A lot of people who have put time into this hobby have difficulty with it. But what would you say your fondest RPG memory is? If you had to pick just one. Oh jeez. Uh Okay, um that same book, Unity, uh Hell on Earth. Um Deadlands Hell on Earth. I ran it after it was came out. I ran it for my friends. I had run them through a good portion of the classic Deadlands setting. And uh I was now and then I I, I ported a lot of the characters, about half the characters made their way from the Wild West to the Wasted West. And then other people like retired their characters and made new ones from that setting, uh, and so again they've been we've been playing in that for like three or four years, and including one of our players, you know, I, I had like these, the Wasted West um, has a bunch of really cool characters like these uh, psychers, which are basically these psychic warriors and um, and doomsayer priests and what are these priests that worship the the glow which is radiation and stuff like that and they all their powers come from radiation and i had one guy player my personal friend who i actually grew up with from hawaii from high school um davis who uh played a a templar which was a sort of like a holy knight archetype that travels in secret from town to town in the wasted west judging these settlements to see if they are worthy and only then if they are found to be worthy people will he reveal who he is and offer to help them right mm-hmm. and he played he played this character called sir k and um when i started the new campaign um he was one of the players and the uh he was a lot of fun uh but eventually his life um pulled him away from the table he had to go he had a got married and had some kids and couldn't come to the games a lot and eventually he kind of like dropped out of the of the game um but when i came to run the what would be the last hell on earth adventure for my for the people that were at my table at the time i called him up and i said hey i'm running the last i'm running the last campaign's plot line here in fact i think you know, two weeks from now, it's going to be the last adventure in Hell on Earth. Mm-hmm. Want to bring back Sir Kay? Want to bring back uh, your your Templar um, for one last ride? And he's like, yeah, sure, great. 
like you know when you when when does game start and it's like well here's the thing game starts at six or whatever it was and i said but can you show up early and i'm not going to tell the other players that you're there <laughs> uh i'll set you in the other room uh i'll um i'll and i'll make sure you uh you can hear everything that's going on but you stay there and i'll and you show and i'm gonna give you your moment to show up and it was great, and it's this is great, but dramatic moment when these characters they're, they're getting rolled over by this giant wave of the undead and and these wormling things, and all hope is lost. And all of a sudden, I describe the silhouette of this figure striding out and cutting these wormlings off the guy, and then he's backlit by the sun and these rays of light streaming all over. And he says, and then and my friend from the uh, Davis from the other room calls out, "From hell's heart, I stab at thee." Uh, and then everyone's like, what? And they, they, they hear this voice coming from the other room, and he strides out into the room, and every, the whole table just erupts, and like, yeah! It was a lot of fun. And so I think that was my favorite uh, uh, single moment in the mm-hmm. game, staging something like that. That That is an amazing moment. I, I've had one GM pull something similar. It was a character being introduced to... Uh, Originally was not part of the party, but it turned out had been there all along. Uh, but that is a that's a very hard moment to pull off, and so do, doing that successfully again that yeah. that's that is the uh, diabolical master planning that I've I've come to know and love from from Cheyenne. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we've got one last introductory question before we kind of dig in deep on some uh, some more specific stuff to, to you and your career. Again, this is another difficult question for a lot of people. I'll tell you the answer can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be. But Cheyenne, if you could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? Oh, I've I, I well, first of all, I have put anything on a T-shirt. I <laughs> I've made many T-shirt designs, and uh, the I I'm not wearing the T-shirt right now, but I have my my um, my personal motto on a T-shirt. It's tucked uh, up in the bedroom right now, and it's uh, it's literally "Be the game master you want to see in the world." Absolutely. Yeah. Either that or spooky girls kick ass, <laughs> which I also have on a t-shirt, which I designed. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, according to your website, you've designed t-shirts for Alton Brown. So, I mean, yes, I have. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. I was sitting on a, the couch doing a bunch of uh, just doing some warm up drawings, uh, watching Alton Brown's show Good Eats on on. on on the Food Network, and so I'm, I just had a page of doodles, and I drew this little zombie Alton Brown uh, with a little dialogue box that says, uh, "Brains. Not uh, only do they end the unbearable pain of undeath, but they're also good eats." <laughs> um, and I just drew it up and I posted it for fun, and somebody saw it and reposted it to somewhere where Alton Brown saw it, and I got this phone call. Uh, eventually, I'm not sure how he the num he got my number, but he's like, "Hi, I'm Alton Brown." I'm like, "Yeah, sh- prove it." 
And yeah, and it turns out it was him. And he wanted to, uh, and then he just said, you know, "I really like the uh, the cartoon. I uh, I can't use that phrase because that's owned by Food Network. But hey, you wanted to you want to draw something else for me? Um, let's make a T-shirt." So nice. it's like yes. <laughs> that's the secret to luck, kids. Mm-hmm. Is being is uh, it's not uh, just good things happen to you know randomly it's that ability to say yes when opportunity when the opportunity comes you spend 20 years working to the point where you can say with confidence yes when you have that opportunity when that door swings open for that brief second you take it you, you run with it i love that alton brown was just able to find your phone number somewhere it was probably on my website. <laughs> you know, I mean, a, a freelance illustrator, you got to make yourself available, right? Yep. Absolutely. It is not on my website now. <laughs> was it because Alton kept calling you? Oh, man, the guy would not stop calling. So before we move forward, we do, of course, have to say hello to Todd Moonbounce here in chat. And also... Uh, hey, Todd! Also, James and Tony from, uh, from Valor Studios are here as well, which is awesome. Howdy! And uh, Tony mentioned something about, uh, well, James mentioned Abraham Grimalkin, your uh, your investigator character. and uh, That's correct. Tony mentioned something about the, the two characters you guys played in that game, uh, kind of playing off of each other and and being their antithes- antitheses of each other. Uh, what what happened there? Uh, Abraham is Abraham Grimalkin is very serious, very dour, very uh, no nonsense uh, to the point uh, and staying focused on the uh, on the the mission. And uh, Tony's character was a uh, a massive seven foot lion man uh, who um, warrior. Who you would think might be very similarly serious, right? That's the way most such characters are composed. But he was um, not that. <laughs> uh, he was very kind of like stream of consciousness, dis- e- uh, easily distracted, just going off on these strange tangent, sort of would talk your ear off about everything, not laconic in any way uh and often uh, it was a very severe counterpoint to grim mulkin's grimness it's like uh was it lully i don't even know how to pronounce that that character's name are you familiar with wheel of time uh no We're going to sit down and watch the show that's on Amazon Prime, but I have not read the books, and I haven't seen the show yet. There's a character named uh, Loyal or Loyal, something like that, Uh, but he's this giant beast man. Uh, His his race is Ogier, I think is what what they're called, but he's this giant beast man, but he's very intellectual and will just ramble about topics ad nauseum if you don't stop him it sounds very much like what tony was going for although maybe not intellectual <laughs> i don't know yeah i'm not sure 
Uh, I think he, he was doing a really good job of, I think, playing a character that had uh, what you would call low smarts uh, dice. <laughs> uh, he was yep. differently smart. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. Gotcha. So in your career, you, you've done a lot of really cool things. And you mentioned, uh, you know, how you met Shane Hensley. I want to actually... Yeah. Start there and take it back a little bit further. How did you first encounter Deadlands? When was that? Uh, you know, when was it that you kind of ran up against Deadlands for the first time? I think I had seen the books for some time here and there, but um, I hadn't picked one up. I didn't have. I was. It came out in that lull period uh, after college, and I, where I had moved away from where I grew up. And I was living in, uh, I moved here to Seattle. And I didn't have a gaming group anymore. <laughs> and so I just didn't have, um, I was interested in gaming, but I didn't have people to play with. And I hadn't, and once you're kind of like out of those, those forced social situations like uh, high school and college, it's kind of hard to pull together that kind of group again to sit down and do that sort of thing as an adult mm-hmm. um and i just hadn't built up the crew for it but the game so the game had been out for a while um and i was i think i i was in the the xanadu comics you know, in the u district of seattle and there was there was a, just a the core deadlands orange book um uh, with uh with the picture of Jasper Stone on the cover by by Brom, mm-hmm. and uh, it was sitting there on the sh- on the shelf. They had opened up much like uh, the other the Space and Lace. They had a one tiny little rack of gaming stuff in the in, in carved out in this comic book store, and uh, I was like, you know, I'm gonna pick this up. I want to read it. I'm gonna look at this. I want to see what it's all about. So I picked up that that core original book and um yeah and i was sold from that point on i uh, uh i was doing a little bit of theater stuff uh, um and uh, i talked to a few of the people uh who um into coming over some night uh with the promise of alcohol and uh uh sat down and said hey let's uh let's let's try this out and I busted out the Deadlands. I'm gonna do a little Wild West thing. Busted out a card table and a and a bottle of wild turkey. Uh, put it on the you know, the shot glasses. Uh, every time you get shot, you drink. You take a shot. Uh, and that was a mistake. Oh. Uh, but the but it started the um, me building a new crew for gaming and. Um, So, how many people did you have in that first group? Um, I think I had about five okay. people. Gotcha. Five or six, which is about all I could fit around a card table. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a it was a standard like poker table, he, you know, hexagonal one with all the little like you know, slots for all your chips and stuff like that. We had a I found a brass spittoon at a at a at a secondhand store that we used for all the fate chips so when you threw when you cashed in your fate chips you know, it made this really nice ping when you threw it into the spittoon and stuff mm-hmm. like that it was a lot of fun and i had a deck of cards 
It was a standard deck of cards. I didn't have like any cool themed decks. So um, I had, but I had drawn all, all the cards and I turned them all into these gruesome pictures of Wild West horror and stuff like that. But also because it was hard to remember all the, the classic Deadlands, every card had a, had a uh, stat value. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I'm not sure if you remember, because back in the, in those days, not only could you have a, you had different die types for how good you were, you had different numbers of dice for how good you were. So you could have not just a, a D6 in agility, but you could be, one person could have, be a 2D6 agility, another person could be 4D6 agility, right? And stuff like that. And each, and the way you built cards, you built, the way you built characters in Deadlands was you shuffled a deck of cards and you dealt yourself eight cards or, um, and then those were your stats and you assigned each of those stats to one of your abilities, um, basically from that, from that deck of cards. And, uh, so you could have characters that were like really awesome and characters that were really bad. Um, and then there was, it was meant to be something that where you could just get, killed off and then you had to shuffle up a new character hmm. you know absolutely and so i wrote down all those all those card values on every one of the cards and while i was doing that i was also adding in you know abraham lincoln getting shot and stuff like that <laughs> nice and uh, for for everyone out there who's familiar with my first experience running Deadlands Classic i will say uh five drunk players is much preferable to the 10 sober that I, yeah. I started yeah. with. Uh, I, I would take that any day. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I had been, I had been a ga- GM for a long time and I, I knew what my limits were. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you were, you know, finding those limits, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And I thought I can run five E for this many people. So surely I can run Deadlands classic for this many. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, uh, because we're talking about Deadlands and the Wild West, I, I just have to ask, when it comes to Westerns and yeah. uh, Western media in particular, what movie, TV show, novel, what piece of Western media was kind of your gateway into, uh, you know, the the imagination bomb that is the wild west well i actually back in high school back in the 80s i actually ran boot hill a few times uh but i didn't have a whole lot of supplemental material and you know if you're familiar with boot hill it was basically tsr's D, but with cowboys yep. uh game um i ran that a few times uh but they only had like one or two supplements for it mad mesa and stuff like that and um, it always ended in everybody getting just going off the rails and shooting uh, everybody. And just you know, when you play games with high school kids, uh, a lot of it is uh, it devolves quickly into everyone shooting each other instead <laughs> of the the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I think once I when I came back to it again with Deadlands, it was such an evocative setting initially right already all on its own um but that whole spaghetti western with meat uh catchphrase reminded me of um 
think all the movies that I loved at the time, uh, particularly uh, Clint Eastwood's uh, The Outlaw Josie Wales, uh, was a big, um, big influence on me at the time. And I, I loved that movie and all the characters in it. And and uh, uh, Chief Dan George, uh, the um, the old uh, Indian. Um, Hodger in that one was one of my favorite characters of all time. You know, I have a piece of rock candy, but it's not for eating, only for looking through. Uh, I loved all of that stuff, and so I, I wanted to have all the chance to do all those voices at the table and stuff like that. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the the Western movie that I remember particularly catching my uh, my fancy early on was The War Wagon with John Wayne. Oh yeah. That's one of my favorites. That and Big Jake were the two kind of big ones that got me into Westerns. Cause my dad was a huge John Wayne fan. And I actually remember, uh, when I first had Shane on the show, talking with him about Big Jake, and that's apparently one of his favorites as well. Uh, and I think that if you added some supernatural elements and, and maybe like had, uh, you know, a harrowed as part of the the bad guy posse, or you know, someone who does some kind of weird magic or something like that. You you could weirdify the story of Big Jake and and turn it into a pretty cool uh, Savage Worlds campaign, in my opinion. Oh yeah, I mean that's one of the things that's like um, great about Deadlands is you have that um, you have those cards that you can play, but you don't have to either. You can run a completely straight game. In the Deadlands universe, where there are the, the the supernatural never shows up, and it really is just about you know good guys in white hats against bad guys in black hats, um, and uh, it still works fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have that extra spice to kick in, uh, and it's just to take it to the next level when you when you need to, and that's fantastic. Absolutely. Now. Going back to uh, you know your, your career working with Shane and working with Pinnacle, uh, once you got your name out there and once uh, you know Shane put in that that order and you were working with Pinnacle, uh, how far along the line do we go uh, to get to Fifty Fathoms and and your uh, your assistance in the the creation of that? Okay, so well, Fifty Fathoms was the. Um... I think the first real successful um, presentation of Shane's idea of what you could do with a plot point campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to uh, Savage Worlds was fairly new, and um, we had done a few things before that. Uh, there had been, uh, but I was I was part of this when he he. I, 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 sorry, I'm getting stumbling over here. So, um, he'd been working on Savage Worlds, which was basically a trimmed down version of Deadlands Classic, cut down really quick. Actually, it was the little side game that they had made for running mass combat in Deadland in the Deadlands universe, which was called the Great Rail Wars, and the it was basically a little miniature tactical game that they had cooked up that was like, well, you know, you can never run a big battle 
with like 20 guys in Deadlands Classic. It would take forever. Right? So let's make a, a really quick, light version of it and for the Rail Wars. And they did that, and it was good. And, there, and it was chunky. And you still got to roll a bunch of dice, but it was really quick and fast, and you can move through it really quick and fast. And like, you know, why don't we make this the role-playing game? And so they started working on Savage Worlds, um, uh, Undercover of Darkness, and Secretly. And I was helping playtest a lot of that. And I was running... Um, I was running all sorts of weird, quick games, and I just fell in love with it. Fell hard. I was running Savage Star Trek for my friends, and uh, and just play testing that, and all the different weird ideas for. Uh, and we were testing out ad uh, adventure cards, and uh, I ran a, a, I ran a game called the Gilded Age, uh, or the Age of Marvels, depending on when you asked me, and it was uh, the Marvel Universe, but in the 1800s in England um, and all sorts of fun stuff like that. And then uh, I did a bunch of illustrations for the first book that came out, uh, just the, the original core Savage Worlds book. And I even did the, my, it's my art on the cover of that. And then we did, uh, a f as you do when you're releasing a new role-playing game, you have to give everybody a fantasy campaign first. Because 99% of the market out there is for Dungeons and & Dragons. And you got to try and lure those people over. Um, so the very first book that was put out, first campaign book ever put out for Savage Worlds, was a game called Evernight. About a fantasy world that's getting invaded by aliens. Um, and so and it was this... That was the first one. I did a all the pencil illustrations that were in that i believe because it was still we were still printing our books in black and white back then <laughs> and uh so, so i did it all in pencil in shaded pencil um and that was a lot of fun and then I'm trying to think i'm making sure i have this right i think the book we did after that was 50 fathoms the original 50 fathoms and shane came to me and he said, okay, I have this idea. Um, it was, you know, for this, this game, this setting called 50 Fathoms. It's, it's high seas pirate adventures in a fantasy world. Right. Um, but it's a fantasy world where there's been a curse and all of the world is now underwater, except for what used to be the, some mountaintops and has created this, this, this chain of islands. Uh, I'm going to start writing the game, he said. You start doing art. And I was like, yeah, just draw whatever you want and send it to me when you got it. And just start designing stuff. And I would just draw monsters and, and people and stuff like this from the setting. And he, he would then incorporate that art, figure out what it was, and that's how 50 Fathoms was made. Gotcha. Gotcha. So kind of... Kind of Marvel method in, in yeah. the creation of Fifty Fathoms. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. gotcha. He, I mean, it was it was initially I think Michelle's idea, his uh, Shane's wife. Hmm. Uh, he did, but he did the uh, the basic concept, uh, the basic uh, plot writing, and it was it is a masterpiece of a plot point campaign. You know where you know these are all the things that are going to happen, but it uh, these things only trigger when people set come 
uh, if they've done the ones before it, and they when when they come to this dock, and if they've cleared the missions in front of this one, fire off this mission, kind of thing. And that's the way the the plot point was de- was designed, and it has been. Uh, it's way more different than what you see in most other campaign books because it's all, you know where everything is like the players have to go here and now they have to go here and stuff like that. And no, this one's like no, you just lay the seeds for all the story. The story is there, and the players they'll discover it and they might do something with it or they might not. You don't know, but here it all is, and that's all a lot of how I was already running my games. Initially, like I said, I, I lay all my pieces out and see which ones they pick up and play with, right? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's something that I've kind of I guess picked up by osmosis just just from, you know, reading a lot of these pinnacle books. Uh the way I like to run games is I set an event in motion. Uh, the the example I always give is there's a lord who is going to uh, cross the river and go into this next town. He's going to completely subjugate it, and uh, he's going to use this as a stepping stone to continue his march towards the sea so he can expand his empire. Uh, and then you throw the players into the scenario of they're in the first town, the first domino that he's going to knock over. How do they react to those circumstances that have been set in motion, and what does that uh, kind of ripple out into? That that's the way that I approach a lot of my campaigns, and it's it's uh, different. Yeah, but it's it also it, it takes a lot from that idea of depending on what the players do, that'll depend on the different outcomes that can happen in this world as uh you know events have been set in motion in, in a particular direction and what happens when someone throws a wrench in that right oh yeah there's a great book um called uh, another game game called monster of the week and it's in a powered by apocalypse game mm-hmm. um and they have this whole section about writing a uh writing an adventure which i really liked and i took a lot of notes from uh, I have never run the game itself, but I took a lot of notes from this. Um, and it was basically telling, advising you to sit down and write the timeline as if the players never get involved. Right? And it's just like, and it's like, you know, the, the concept is if the players never get involved in this story, the world ends. And here's how. Right? <laughs> Step one. You know, what does the bad guy want? What is he trying to do to get it? And basically, and it tells you to break it down into, like, uh, I think they call it, they, they use the framing of uh, of uh, morning, dawn to midnight, right? Hmm. At, uh, on the, on, at dawn, it is the, um, the, 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 the villain wakes up and he begins his plan. And then, you know, by uh, midnight... It will be the end of the of the of the known of the world as we know it. Uh, his master, he will have taken over. He will have achieved all everything he's wanted, and this is how the world ends, hmm. right? And not, they don't mean literally it all happens in one day, but it's just like a breaking it at like dawn, noon, nightfall, you know, you know, twilight, hmm. nightfall, midnight, right? And by all and in this arc, this is what the this is what the villain is going to do. And the players, and then you, you write it as if they were not even in the story at all. And then 
have your players experience the first few moments of it and the, and how they act to try and stop the progression that you clearly know what's going to happen is where the adventure comes in well, mm-hmm. basically where they they interpose themselves so that you always know what the what the villain's plan is and the, the villain's plan never should include what the heroes are going to do they may have to they're forced to react to what the heroes do but their plan should not rely on them the villain would rather prefer the heroes never existed right right i i really like that and I, I, one of the main reasons why i like that specific uh illustration that you you pulled out there is its reliance on uh the the clock imagery mm-hmm. cuz one of my favorite uh artifacts of like the atomic age is the uh the idea of the doomsday clock right yeah i remember i was seven or eight years old and the history channel had like a special on the doomsday clock and where the concept started and and what events kind of moved it forward for people and i i was fascinated by this concept of the doomsday clock and then shortly thereafter i encountered watchmen for the first time and that's well yeah yeah you were perfectly set up for it then yeah it it was one of those weird moments of synchronicity in in my life just finding out what the nuclear clock was cuz by the time i was 8 years old no one cared about the the doomsday clock anymore yeah it, a, it must've been nice <laughs> we we had other other ways of measuring uh movement towards armageddon but the doomsday clock i think a lot of people had forgotten about yeah I, I I came of age in the in the uh, in the eighties, so uh, I was well aware of what it was. We had all sorts of horror stories on the TV about you know oh it's going to happen now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of my favorite artifacts of that era is the movie, the TV movie, The Day After. Yeah, yeah. So, that's one of the ones I was thinking about. It's a great movie, great, great Jason Robards performance. A lot of fun. So, uh, as far as like other stuff you, you've done with Pentacle, obviously we mentioned, uh, you, you did the artwork for the action deck and we heard a little bit of the, uh, the origin of where that came from, uh, which, which is pretty cool, but you've also, uh, worked on Deadlands Noir, uh, yeah. which is, I, I love film noir. I love, uh, you know, that, that kind of pulp era storytelling and, and, all those kinds of things, but I've not actually played any Deadlands Noir or or perused any of the books. So, as far as where uh, you know the concept came from, was it just you know we've got Deadlands, we've got uh, you know Hell on Earth, uh, you know what's between them? Wh- which one came first? Where does Noir kind of fit into the the timeline of creations here? Oh, okay. So uh, Deadlands Noir is the fourth setting for Deadlands. Uh, first one was Deadlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wild West. Cowboys versus Zombies. Yep. Second one was Hell on Earth, which is uh, Road Warriors versus Zombies. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, third one was uh, Deadlands Lost Colony, which is immediately 
uh, in the timeline of of campaigns, if you're running campaigns, immediately follows Hell on Earth. It came out a little bit for a little bit of the time. It was like running side by side. the The campaign, however, of Unity, the campaign that ends Hell on Earth, mm-hmm. leads straight into Lost Colony, and that's basically space cowboys versus zombies. Right in space, or as I, I like to say it, in space something can hear you scream. <laughs> uh, uh, that takes place on a on a distant planet. Uh, the uh, there was a human colony that was cut off from Earth because of the World War Three that destroyed the 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 gates from Earth to there, and so they've been left on their own for ten years. Uh, trying to figure out what happened, and uh, and then when Hell on Earth ends, uh, there's events in the adventure which I won't go into that where basically characters could get picked up from there and dropped off on Lost Colony, um, and you can play out the rest of the the story arc from there. So, and that's was the those were the three settings of Deadlands for a long time, mm-hmm. and then you know basically we, we, the went back and forth and added more stories here or there but for the most part those were that was it there was no other deadlands books shane had a few ideas um like he's always wanted to do a a uh 80s um buffy era uh no so more like 90s buffy era kind of idea for deadlands um, and he's talked about that, about where he would set it and, and, the, and all that sort of stuff. But, um, just the, the hooks, enough of the hooks aren't there or the, the it hasn't gelled together, mm-hmm. but he came to me one day and he says, all right, so John Goff and I have this perfect idea for another Deadlands setting. And it was like, it had been like, uh, I'd say five or six years since any major thing had come out for Deadlands. Um, it was after the Deadlands D20 stuff of the and the, the open gaming license and all that sort of stuff, things. Mm-hmm. And they said, we have an idea for Deadlands. Um, and we need some, again, we need some early art. We need to start visualizing what this thing could look like. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and I was like, okay, well, what is it? And he says, Deadlands Noir. <laughs> and I was like, I got, I got you. I got you. I'll do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will do all of it. Give it to me. <laughs> Give it all to me. Um, yeah, I was all about it. Because I, I would say, if I could run any genre of game, Pulp is my favorite era to run i run more things in that i've run more of my own custom stuff takes place in that 1901 to 1940s time frame mm-hmm. which is that classic era for pulp i guess you could push it to the 60s but i would love to run anything in those in those in that window basically mm-hmm. and so yeah I, I totally was on board for that uh, so yeah, so that was the fourth book uh, came out, and uh, I think I guess I was already living here in this house. So uh, it was about ten years ago, 
10 or 12 years ago, maybe. I can't remember. I got it all right here somewhere. I don't want to get up in the middle of this. Oh, there it is. And then the more companion of this. Uh, let's see. Yeah. It's got to have a published date in here. I, it was one of the first games where I actually got, I got nominated for one of, for an any, which is what the big, uh, um, awards they hand out at, um, the big game, the big Gen Con, Gen Con. There we go. Mm-hmm. 2013. But yeah, the uh, this map that I did for the of the of the U.S. for um for uh the Deadlands Noir was actually nominated for uh, an an award that year. I didn't win, but it felt really good for a piece that I had that I had sat down and drawn myself. Got into that top five nominee, you know, for a piece. In the, in the big game awards like that and I was really proud of that it yeah I was real happy with that hmm. absolutely yeah and, and Deadlands Noir um, it, again that that time period is so interesting and there's so much uh, you know interesting things that can happen around there it, it fits kind of the the seediness of the the pulp genre fits very well with, you know, there, there's something l- dark lurking in the shadows and that could actually be a monster in, in the world of Deadlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and still, I mean, if it, you, if you're running a story mm-hmm. in the, in the Deadlands noir universe, it's 1930 or so, yep. which is still only like 50 years after the timeline for Deadlands. Yep. 50 or 60 years. It's, there are characters that could, still be alive from Deadlands, from classic Deadlands, you know, people who could still be walking around, people who still remember what it was like and, um, or the fallout for what they have done could, you know, bubble back up to the surface. And, you know, it's, it is a setting that is low magic compared to if you could call Deadlands high magic, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, things have gotten much more quiet in the Deadlands Noir era. Mm-hmm. Um, much less obvious uh, in, the, in the magic and, and whatnot, but there's still plenty of horror going on. And there's plenty of reasons for horror, right? I mean, yeah. um, going on in that era. and uh, But again, it's super moody, and it's it's just a mood. It's a total mood. Mm-hmm. I love it so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and and something that's going to be interesting. Uh, yeah, there were several updates made to Deadlands itself when uh, you know we 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 made the jump to Suede, and it's going to be interesting to see you know if Deadlands Noir makes the jump as well, or w- once it makes the jump, uh, changing kind of the the way that things have gone down since the Deadlands period, because uh, in classic Deadlands Noir, if I'm not mistaken, the uh, the Union and the CSA are still separate entities in that time. Yeah, the, that has all been rewritten, you know, uh, by uh, what's called the Morgana effect in the Deadlands universe. But mm-hmm. basically, 
Um, they're all sort of a living... The Deadlands, the whole spectrum of Deadlands is a living universe, right? Uh, things are changing. And because there's actually a limited form of time travel involved in all of this, mm-hmm. um, things falling back and forward through time in all the, in all the genres, um, history can change kind of like out from under you and events um like in the original classic deadlands and for a long time the civil war never ends right yep and it and it bis and it, the country the north and the south stay essentially separate countries all the way through to the hell on earth but in the current timeline that has changed the civil war went on longer than it than a than it normal but it has ended and it's all in the united states is all one country again and that ripples out through all the other uh settings and it's just we haven't put out any new books showing how that that ripple has affected things but for the most part you can kind of run deadlands noir and just say well you know uh, we refer to the north and the south but we just mean it the uh north versus south in the way that modern people use the two terms. They're still one country, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the CSA just isn't a thing anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I'm excited. I, I'm waiting for that, you know, the the box set for Deadlands Noir Suede, if that's coming. That That's yeah, something right. that I'm super interested in, because, again, this is this is not something that I've played at all. I got into Savage Worlds with Adventure Edition. Uh, I played a little bit of Explorers, but that was just like one or two times. So, that's something that I'm excited to see. Just just how this event uh, that's rippling throughout the Deadlands books, as, as Shane mentioned last time he was on the show, uh, how that affects the Noir world and, and what that means for uh, you know what's going on in that time period. Yeah, that'd be cool. There's a, um, there's also, uh, I don't want to talk out of school, but I do know that Shane has an, a fifth Deadlands setting on, um, on the on the stove, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's none of the other ones. I I believe uh, he talked a little bit about that. I I believe it's uh, Dark Age. Okay, cool. I I wasn't sure how much he's talked about it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna offer that up. Any, but I've done the. I know I've done the logo for that one already. But I, <laughs> nice. I did a, uh, one of my uh, motion videos for it and stuff like that. And, and uh, so, but yeah, they're just. It's still. We're still working on the, the plot point campaign for it. But yeah, Deadlands, Dark Age. Now, did you get any work in the uh, the Suede Superpowers Companion? No, uh, there were. Uh, I think there were. I was pretty busy when they were putting all that together, and uh, I would have liked to have done a, a, a piece here or there, but I didn't. Not not in the most recent edition. No. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that's. I'm looking forward to that one when it shows up. I. I have Is not. Is it not out? I think it's out. I think it's out. Yeah, the uh, the digital one. I, I've got my my digital copy of that. I'm, oh, you're looking for the the hardcover yeah, or the I, the book book. Hmm. I do, I do love the books. Uh, yeah. That's typically when I when I review something is when I get the physical book. But 
I mean, I've not used Savage Worlds to run a superhero game yet, and I know wow. that's something that's very near and dear to Shane's heart in particular. Oh yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm looking forward to trying Savage Worlds in a superhero environment, and maybe Savage Worlds can completely supplant Mutants and Masterminds as my preferred superhero. Uh, well, I can tell you on that. <laughs> uh, I ran. Uh, I'm I'm taught. I'm in my my quiet home game which i'm still going to be running digitally with all my friends and stuff like that so i can get more people who um to to join in uh i am intending i have two games on deck that i want to run and i'm going to let whoever wants to sign up for them decide which one i'm going to run and one of them is my is a victorian space opera idea i have um with uh with you know intergalactic airship you know vessels and mm-hmm. and long range communications done with through Ouija board uh <laughs> and stuff like that and ley lines for instead of hyperspace but um the other one is i want to run basically the necessary evil campaigns from savage worlds but set it either in entirely taking it out of the universe that was created for necessary evil which i'm not sure if you're familiar with yep um taking it out of the universe for necessary evil and either running it entirely as a dead as a not a dead as a dc comics setting mm-hmm. or as a marvel comics mcu setting mm-hmm. and i'm gonna let the players decide which one they want to be in but basically they will have to play either all Marvel villains are all DC villains. Oh, but was... using the plot points from Necessary Evil. Mm-hmm. Now, and this, this I, I don't know how, how much you've thought about what the aliens become in the DC or Marvel universe, but I, I as a DC fan, I just have to ask, would you make the aliens from Necessary Evil the Dominators? If uh, if they pick DC, well, I mean, it, it seems like it would be a perfect fit. I mean, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that that's an interesting choice there because I think a lot of people. Again, I'm a DC fan, so I'm biased here. A lot of people are gonna like gut react Marvel, but when you think about it, again, in my opinion. DC has a stronger repertoire of villains. They do. And and also, I think a great deal of the characters from Necessary Evil, when you squint, you go, oh yeah, these are all... D- this is very heavily DC-leaning. Mm-hmm. There's a couple that are clearly references to like Captain America and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and when it comes to uh, who's got the better... Uh, rogues gallery of villains you know it's it's hard to argue with the gotham that the gotham city villains aren't don't aren't just some of the best villains ever created for comics Mm -hmm. right absolutely and even like even if you move past gotham city uh, you know you've got lex luthor you've got uh deathstroke you've got vandal savage 
all mm-hmm. kinds of just, you know, fantastic DC villains to, to draw upon. If it were up to me, I'd pick DC, but we'll, we'll see what your, your players end up going for in, in that regard. Well, maybe you can be one of them. I'll give you an invite to the uh, my private uh, uh, personal quiet game server thing and uh, if you if you want it uh absolutely yeah sure that that would be awesome if you could, i don't know I, I i didn't know if you had the time you seem like a, such a busy individual it, but, it, uh, it would depend on like what time the game is but yeah. i mean i i would definitely look into to joining that if if uh, everything <laughs> works out that, that sounds okay. awesome So, so yeah, uh, the question then is just is who is Doctor Destruction going to be in the DC? <laughs> Who's the best ver- uh, analog for Doctor Destruction in, in the uh, in the DC universe? Um, try to think, because it's clearly Doctor Doom in the Marvel universe, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but who's the most like Doctor Doom in the DC universe? Most like Doctor Doom in the DC universe. Um, that's man. That's maybe Lex Luthor. Maybe, but gotta be a guy in a power suit, right? right. It's part. That's part of the whose identity you don't actually know. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lex Luthor. I mean, Luthor has a power armor suit, right? In the in the mm-hmm. classic things, but no, it has to be somebody else, right? It has to be somebody who's you know hidden so i have to i have to ponder that i have to go hit my old who's who uh of the dc universe comics one interesting option uh and and this is kind of an obscure pull but monarch from the armageddon 2001 event in the 90s Mm. kind of sort of fits the bill he he has a secret identity he's in a power suit and he's kind of that like dark overlord type character uh but again he's not he doesn't have the same status as like a dr doom so that yeah that might yeah. be a little bit of a tougher sell for for anyone playing in that game I, yeah yeah we'll see yeah that's th- that really is yeah, who is DC's Doctor Doom? That that's an interesting question. Yeah. Well, luckily, there's two different uh, plot point campaigns for Necessary Evil. There is the uh, there's the core one, and then there is a secondary, uh, which I have already run once before, uh, set in the original universe for Necessary Evil, right? Which is Star City. Um, but then there was a a second one that came out several years later called uh jailbreak something like that which would i would clearly have to set if i were going to run that plot point campaign i'd clearly have to just make it gotham city yeah uh basically it's a it's a the the aliens have put a a dome over one city in in the universe and they've just trapped everybody in the city and it's all about these villains banding together and trying to figure out how to escape from the prison, the alien prison. And um, I go, if I'm going to p- set that anywhere, it's going to be Gotham, mm-hmm. right? So, and I don't think um, Doctor Destruction really plays a major point in that one. So I can, I can, if I don't want to answer that question, I can always shrug it off mm-hmm. you know, for for now. Absolutely. 
Now, uh, as we're kind of coming towards the end of our, our time here, I do want to talk a little bit about Hellgate, uh, just since that's how we, we got to know each other. So how did that kind of come about? Did, uh, you know, how, how did you get involved with Valor Studios and, and how did you guys come up with the, uh, the idea for Hellgate? Uh, well, I had, um, the, I, how I got involved with Valor Studios, I had been running, um, a game for my local group, just games in general. Um, but as I, I've gotten older and they've gotten older and life is getting in the way and the amount of gaming that I was doing was falling below, shall we say, my threshold of getting enough gaming. I wasn't getting enough out of my games. Uh, we were, that game runs, even now, runs only every other week. Mm. Uh, one, you know, once, one, and, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of jawing and there's just not a lot of like focused gaming going on there. So I was like, I need more gaming. I need to get involved a little bit more with, so I need to build another group. Mm-hmm. And, um, I saw on Twitter that they were just, that Valor Studios, which at the time it was using a different name, reached out and basically said they're looking to do a, a Savage Worlds uh, RPG podcast I thing. Hmm. And they were looking for people who were interested in doing that. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm interested in doing that. Savage Worlds, I love Savage Worlds. So I hit them up and I said, hey, I'd like to uh, join your Savage Worlds podcast. And I'm like, well, what experience do you have? <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> here's a link. Uh, <laughs> and they're like, oh, uh, <laughs> How long did you want to? How many episodes were you willing to do for us, sir? <laughs> <laughs> like, like a like a one shot or something? I was like, no. I mean, it sounds like fun. Let's do it. I'm all in. And they're like, okay. <laughs> um. So yeah. So that's where I invent. And so I I played this uh, character for this podcast that we did called, called the Terrace. And um and. You know that that was fun, and I I got to be a player, which was uh, something was real excited, and it was rolling up towards um, God. What did I do first? Can't remember if it was a Halloween uh, Halloween or it was Christmas time. But I said, hey, um, I also GM a lot. Um, you guys want to like? You guys want like a holiday special? I could I could put one together for you guys, and they're like, yeah, sure. So I ran. And over the couple of years, I ran two hol- two Christmas specials for them and one Halloween special for them. No, two Halloween specials, too. Yeah, I did that. Uh, one was Deadlands Noir, in fact. We did a Deadlands Noir story for Halloween called the, A Night on Willow Hill. And that was all spooky and ghosty and a lot of fun. I think that may have been the first one I did. And then I did a... Um, a Christmas hollow rippers uh one shot for them, which is Rippers is um Victorian monster hunters, right? Mm-hmm. You know, real hammer hammer horror kind of event of adventures. And that went over really well and then and uh I did the following year I did another Halloween special, but this time the Halloween special was more rippers, and it was like again the rippers and called Harvest Gloom, and it was all the rippers going up against um, uh, 
uh, the an elder gourd, <laughs> basically the great pumpkin, uh, <laughs> basically was was the arch villain in that one, which was a lot of fun. And then I did a, I the first one was uh, yeah the first Halloween uh, Christmas one was they had they were get, the town was getting overrun with uh, toys that were coming to life, and it was all because they're being made by a toy master that was secret uh, by a toy maker that was secretly a were Krampus. Nice. And he was turning into he was slowly turning into Krampus, and they, then they had to fight Krampus um, at the end of that campaign, and then at the end of that one shot, and then the following year uh, they had to go up against Jack Frost, uh, uh, who was posing as a, uh, a a wondrous scientist that had all these you know with this all this this technology, but he was trying to freeze the world, and that was a lot of fun. Um, so uh, I had done all that, and I was like, "Wow, those one shots are fun." I wish I could do more with the characters. I can't really do that. I really can't get into too much if I'm doing an adventure that has to be done all in one night, though. Right? I can't really get too much role play out of one night's adventure. I want to drag it out more. I want more story. Mm-hmm. So eventually, I was like, "Well, you know, this the." The Deadlands suede rules were coming out, and I was playing around with Foundry, and I was like, I can do so much with Foundry now. And I got all this Deadlands stuff. And I've been running Deadlands for like 20 years now. Hey, guys, uh, how about I run a Deadlands story for you guys? Uh, Not a whole long thing. Let's just make it 12 episodes. And um, would you guys be up for that? And they're like, yeah, yeah, anything you want to do. Anything you want to do, Cheyenne, you can do it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, excellent, cool. I'm, uh, I had run, actually, a, a campaign prior to that. I forgot. Uh, Dungeons of Discordia. Because I, I was kind of pressured into it. I've been talking about this idea for a, a, a fantasy game where it was all a dungeon all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I did that, and uh, but uh, couldn't get enough players for the Dungeons of Discord. The idea was that it was supposed to be sort of West Marches style, where the cast was going to rotate every week, and I would get different players playing all the time. But we could got we got James, Tony, and Taylor uh, were my cast for that, and then we just couldn't line up any other people. It just wasn't work. We just was never lining up. So eventually, I I I did a short story, the Dungeons of Discordia, and then I then we folded it up because Taylor. One third of my entire cast had to go do other things. She couldn't sign on for a, a whole campaign like that. And um, so I was like, okay, well, that was fun. It was a longer form. I got to do a little bit more of a story, but I want to do more, more. And so I, I cooked up the idea for Deadlands. And uh, uh, Hellgate came because I just I needed to pick a setting. And uh, I didn't know if I was going to set it in... Uh, the Southwest, which was my first inkling, like somewhere down in New Mexico or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw, but I pitched the three different settings. I think, right? I said Kansas, New Mexico, or Montana. And Montana was the one that had the least amount of published material from Deadlands. It was the one there. There, basically, there's. If you go look through all the Deadlands books, there is maybe two paragraphs about Montana. 
in all of Deadlands and like the 20 books that have been published least amount of information comes from Montana and that's the one everybody wanted me to run <laughs> uh, so I was like well I have to create everything for this I can't run any published adventures I got nothing so I had to do this deep dive into Montana history and uh, and real world events and see what I could take inspiration from and I found the story that Missoula um, or the area that was Missoula now is used to be called Hellgate. And I was like, okay, tell me more. Um, and I found out that the word Missoula, um, me, uh, while the was trans was mistranslated was that in, uh, uh, the, the white settlers thought it meant the place by the cold water. And, the native said, said, well, literally, yes, but what we mean is it's cold from fear. Uh, <laughs> it's the place, uh, it's the, uh, the place of fear by the, you know, it's the place chilled by fear. And um, that's what they mean by the cold water. Um, and so I was like, okay. And then I read about the Montana Vigilante Committee and all the murders that they had done in the sixty in the eighteen sixties and and all that sort of stuff. And then just the story just kind of came together from there. Hmm. Yeah, and I was just going through scrolling Facebook one day, and then I see uh, I believe you'd posted something on one of the Savage Worlds uh, Facebook pages about looking for cast members, and that's that's how I stumbled upon uh, the Hellgate trilogy, and and that's how we find ourselves here today. Yeah, yeah, I, I was uh, I was I I cooked up this idea for this this for this story. And uh, I said I wanted to do it. I only wanted to do twelve episodes, and I didn't want to do any more, um, for the at least you know for the season one for book one, right? That was the whole point. Uh, I want I wanted to call it the Hellgate trilogy, book one, mm. and that would let me do other books, but let me play with the format a little bit, right? Um, and uh, and I wanted it to be done by Thanksgiving. I didn't want to go into the holidays. Uh, uh, so, and it was rolling up about a month. We were about a month beforehand and I didn't know who my cast was. And for me, a big part of the story was going to be knowing who the players were going to be. And I was getting worried that they weren't going to, that, uh, the same problem that I had with Dungeons of Discordia was going to crop up, that I was going to not get a, a, a cast of players that, um, that, uh, in time. We had a chance to build their backstory and kind of like link them all together and stuff like that. And and that's why I started like going out and promoting it myself uh, on in the Savage Worlds forums and stuff like that. Trying and encouraging them to like um, the, the guys at Valor Studios wanted people that had all done streaming before, right? And they were being really um, uh, sheepish about who they were going to reach out to because they wanted to make sure that you know uh, who who they're going to put on the air. And I was like, I want people now <laughs> let's get people let's go let's get it done and so i reached out um started reaching out in a lot of places and advertising that i was putting the thing together as far as wide as i could because i really wanted to get some bunch of people in there that it were really gonna get kick this thing off and luckily i did 
Yeah, we brought together yeah. a, a a pretty great cast. Uh, if yeah. if I may toot my own horn there for for a little bit, but also you know, Todd's great, Candace is great. Uh, you know, Bizarre Hands is is fantastic as well. Um, it ended up being a great group to to play with. It it was so much fun to to adventure with that group and to to get to know everyone. Uh, Part and, of me thinks that Tony and uh, James were dragging their feet on getting a cast together because they wanted to go, oh, well, I guess we have to be in it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Candace was the only person I had played with previously. I, she had been, she was, I ran a one shot for Savage Worlds uh, promoting the Flash Gordon game when they were doing a new box set for that. And she had, um, she had been invited to be in that one shot by somebody who had known her from in, in out of pinnacle. Mm-hmm. And so, um, that's how I first met Candace was in that one, that, uh, flash Gordon one shot. And I had, and she, and she was a lot of fun in that too. Um, yeah. And so I was, I was super excited when she, when she signed up for the Deadlands game. Mm-hmm. And I was, <clears throat> I mean, as I've said from the beginning, I was just excited to be able to play Deadlands because I've lamented for so long that I love Deadlands. I've got the stuff to run Deadlands. Can't ever find anyone to play Deadlands with me or anyone to run Deadlands so that I can play Deadlands and and live out my fantasy of being a gunslinger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have, I think, in the 20 years I've played in uh, Deadlands as a player twice. (laughs) <laughs> i've run countless adventures mm-hmm. but the only times i've been on the other side of that screen i think has been twice once was at a convention mm-hmm. yeah that's i i met twice as well and one of mine was uh the demon pigs of Cotchess county with with shane uh <laughs> a few years ago here's the thing <laughs> i've known shane for 20 years the only time I've ever played with Shane, he's been a player in my game. I've never played as a player in one of his. Um, step, uh, I'll take that back. Um, on the cruise. No, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, still, the only time he's been my GM for any game was once on the Savage Cruise two years ago when he ran a crisis on Infinite, Infinity Wars uh, <laughs> tabletop thing where it was basically a, a whole bunch of Marvel heroes versus a whole bunch of DC heroes um, uh, all trying to destroy the other universe. That was the only, that was the only time, and I, I played Doctor Strange. In that, and that was the only time I I had uh, Shane as a my GM, and that was more like a tabletop war game mm-hmm. that was going on than really a role playing game. Now every other time it's he, um, it's been Shane as a player in one of my games at a convention. It's always been at a convention. That's the only time mm-hmm. we get together is at conventions. We live so far apart from each other. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I want to. I want. I want to play in one of Shane's Deadlands games. But you know, whenever we're at a convention together. It feels kind of rude for me to take up one of those seats. Hmm. You know, there's a lot of people who would love to have that chance to sit down at a table with Shane Hensley. And I feel like I could muscle my way into that game, 
but then I'm kicking somebody else out, essentially, and I don't want to do that. Absolutely. Yeah, I I was extremely lucky to just, and I completely looked into it. I saw that someone was running Deadlands at uh, Mace in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I was like, oh, yeah, I want to play Deadlands. I want to try this before I, you know, run it. And then I was like, who's running this thing? It's Shane Hensley. And then I looked at my Deadlands book and I was like, huh. That's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, wow. And so I was excited just from go. Yeah. But yeah, I, I will put this it out. Looks like, it looks like it would be fun. It is. It, it, I wouldn't know. <laughs> it it really was a great time. It, it my character very nearly died very early on, and it ended up being one of my favorite moments uh, in I role playing. He, I hear that he, um, he's a lot better at that than I am. I always root for my players, and uh, I I do get accused of being a bit of a softy. Um, I I don't necessarily um intend to be but i i always feel um awkward about spending a benny to reroll damage on somebody mm-hmm. um uh, on on a player because you know i want you to have a good time you know and stuff like that maybe i should do it more i don't know what do you think should i have spent <laughs> a bit when you were facing down uh john wesley harding should i spend a should i have spent a benny on that on that shot he got to your chest there with that with that raise you know, I think that would have been super interesting if you had. I yeah. I was fully prepared for Clayton to die in that duel. I didn't think I I how, went into how am I going to how am I going to bring you back, Harold, if I don't kill you? Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> my my hope for that, I was like, okay, I this is the closest Clayton has come to death, like. No one else can take this bullet. It's just Clayton. All I can hope for is that I pull a Joker here, and and if he kills me, I come back. And if not, yeah. I was already thinking of like, what am I going to bring to the table if if Clayton ends up dead here? Yeah, yeah. I, I still, I, I. It's one of those. It's one of those moments where I still think about it. You know, a couple weeks after the game, I was like. I should have should I have spent the Benny on that damage roll? I loved the idea of that actually, but then there's I, for the folks at home. If you didn't see the the thing, there's a showdown between his character and John Wesley Harding at the end uh, in this in this duel, and he got the first um, Ryan's character got the first shot off, pretty much put it down john wesley harding but you know not quite he was still on his feet i had him pull and draw and shoot and he even with three wounds hit you with a raise so he's gonna get 46 damage but could not and i I rolled the 46 but did not get enough to even shake his character and i had to make a decision at that point do i spend the benny and re-roll the damage and really put the hurt on because (laughs) this is damage that his character could not attempt to soak whatever i rolled he was gonna have to take it and he already had a wound on him it could have been deadly but then i thought about how cool is that moment when he gets shot in the chest and he looks down 
and he realizes it's the badge he had stuck in his pocket that has deflected the bullet, right? And I was like, that is a cooler story point for me. And so I, 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 I didn't spend the many, and I, and I slipped that into the story uh, because I thought that was neat and um, not bloodthirsty. And uh, from what I understand, Shane is a lot, a lot more bloodthirsty. A little bit. About that, so, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that there was a wagon wreck in the game that we were playing. My character, I was a huckster. I was riding inside the wagon. Uh, everyone else was on top of the wagon for whatever reason. They were all fatigued because they were riding on top of a wagon instead of inside it. Mm-hmm. And I thought for sure, I, I was just like sitting there. My character was like smoking or something like that. Uh, all, you know, nice and cool. But then the wagon tips over and... Uh, Rex, and because I'm inside and I rolled uh, very poorly on I I can't even remember what it was. It it was uh, might have been a a vigor check. I I don't even remember because that was uh, Explorer's Edition that we were playing. And So it probably wouldn't be athletics. Yeah, It would probably just been regular vigor. Yeah, and I got beat up. I, I the the priest had to save me. I was that close to death. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, we are five minutes into this game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're probably limping along through the rest of the game after that, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at one point I rolled a double one or a snake eyes on dealing with the devil. Uh, Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, the, the fates were against you that that night. Mm. But but Shane is a good is a great way of making that fun, mm. right? Yeah, absolutely. And it I've been told <laughs> But yeah, I I do hope at some point uh and and this is going to be up to James and Tony and Shane and schedules and Are we- and are we off the air? It says the broadcast has ended. At some point, there was a weird glitch with oh, okay. uh, with Streamlabs. We're back on. It's a different feed now, though. Oh, okay. I see. All right, but it'll be it'll all be one <laughs> continuous thing uh, for for YouTube and uh, the the podcatchers and everything like that. So there there shouldn't be any interruption to the flow uh, for anyone watching this after the fact. All right. Okay, cool. I don't want to distract too much further. <laughs> okay. But no, th- this is something that'll be up to like scheduling and, and, you know, whether or not Shane's actually available to do this. But I hope at some point Valor Studios can get Shane to run a one shot for, uh, for a stream. That, that would be amazing. And hopefully that would give you a chance to, uh, I- to game with Shane. That would be nice. That'd be nice. Um, I'm pretty sure it'd probably be easier to talk him into playing. I'm sure he'd love that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it'd be great to get him to actually run the game. And one thing I'll throw out there, uh, Shane, if you are hearing this, I love to run Dark Sun. Uh, so if at some point there's going to yeah. be any kind of Dark Sun uh, or any desire to do Dark Sun on uh, you know Valor Studios or or anywhere, and you want to be part of Dark Sun. One of his original uh, works, yeah. Absolutely. 
He does sure does love them deserts. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so we have kind of reached the the end of our time here, and I want to give you the chance to talk about uh, the project that you've got going on, and especially uh, you know talk a little bit about Girl Genius, which you've. Uh, won three Hugo Awards for, so I will turn over the rest of our time here to you, Cheyenne, to uh, talk about what you're working on currently, where people can find okay. you, where they can view your work, all that stuff. Okay. Uh, so uh, the the thing, ninety percent of my of my uh, day job, uh, in addition to be just being generally awesome, <laughs> is uh, is I I color a web comic series graphic novel series called girl genius uh i've been working on that for 20 years we're on book 20 22 23 volume 23 i think uh of the girl of the girl genius series right now we put out a, a new volume every year uh you you can read all of it the entire uh history of it online for free uh, at www.girlgeniusonline.com we put up new pages every monday and wednesday and friday so that's three pages a week and at the end of the year we usually do a little kickstarter to fund the printing of the that year's collection um the fine folks who i work with shane uh shane <laughs> phil and kaya folio uh, are going to be at emerald city comic-con this weekend uh, which is here in Seattle at the at the Seattle Convention Center. I am not going because I forgot to get a badge. Um, I just I spaced it, and I I usually like to show up and like uh, at the booth and you know sell some art prints and stuff like that. But I am I'm going to stay home this year. I still have a ten year old who is not fully vaccinated yet, so I'm just going to play it safe. Um, She's got her first dose of the vaccine, but not, uh, you know, I just want to, I'm going to be extra careful with it. So, uh, but feel free to stop by and say hi to Phil and Kaya and they'll have all sorts of stuff there, um, to sign. Uh, and other than that, you can see the art I do on my website, www.arcanetimes.com. Uh, and that is the, my website, which funny thing, that name comes from my old Deadlands campaign. Uh, short, the, the short version of the story is uh, I used to have a, my original Deadlands campaign that I used to run was set in the, in the fictional town of Arcane, New Mexico, and uh, which was named after a mad scientist who had sort of set up shop in the town called Maximilian Arcane, and, uh, or was, who was commonly referred to as Doc Arcane, which is my gamer tag. And it has been my gamer tag ever since I used to run that campaign. And I made uh, the town newspaper in Arcane, New Mexico, was called the Arcane Times. And I bought that domain originally to basically post things so that my players knew what the current stories were going on in the town, where they could always just log into that website and see what, what the next plot points were going to be before game. And that's what I originally bought that website uh, for. And it just kind of slowly over time, as I got hired by Deadlands and started working for it, it became my portfolio website. And now that's all it is. You can't see any of the old Deadlands posts. Uh, but so, yeah, arcanetimes.com. You can see uh, the art I've done for different 
companies there. You can also go to the print shop there and you can buy art prints from me. And I got all sorts of art prints, both from Girl Genius and my own personal stuff. Uh, Mars Needs Women, um, uh, uh, my uh, my Bride of Frankenstein art pieces, my airship uh, blueprints, and all uh, the other stuff that I do there. You can get it along with occasional card games that I've done illustrations for because I've done a bunch of stuff for work that isn't related to Pinnacle. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Cheyenne Wright. Absolutely. And we will put a link to arcanetimes.com in the description here, both on YouTube and Podcatchers. Uh, and Cheyenne, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to join us this evening. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, hearing about how you got involved with, uh, with Pinnacle and how everything came about, connecting some dots as far as uh, how we met. This has been a great time, and I'm glad that you were able to join us tonight. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Gotcha. So, guys, uh, that's going to be it for tonight's episode. Next week, uh, we are going to be back in Nighthaven uh, for the next session of Nighthaven Shades of Grey with the Gamertarians and with John and Joe Page. I am looking forward to finally getting into this. I'm super excited for this encounter they're about to walk into. Uh, So you guys will get to see that next week. Uh, Until then, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I am so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I will see you guys next time.